Um, I, uh, I'm not unlike many of you. I've got uh, several idiosyncrasies that are in my life. I'm going to share one of you this morning. Some of you are going to think it's probably not too weird, but one of my idiosyncrasies is I love chess movies and shows about chess or um, any of that, like Searching for Bobby Fischer. That movie's one of my all-time favorite. Queen's Gamut. Like, I just love that stuff. I don't know why. It's just one of those deals. And you might say, Russell, why is that an idiosyncrasy? How could that be weird? Here's why it's weird. I don't play chess. I, I don't play chess. Like, I know how the pieces move, but don't invite me over. It's going to be a quick game. Like, I don't understand it. For me, I guess the reason I love these movies so much is my alter ego says one day you might could have an IQ that big and, and high that you could look at a chessboard and see 50 moves ahead. And there's a piece of me that thinks, wow, that'd be really cool to have that kind of IQ. There's another thing that I really like about chess as well. And when I think about it, it it's kind of shows just how like narcissistic I am, I guess. Um, in chess, you're trying to grab the other, uh, the other player's king. And when you're one move away from getting their king, you say, check. And for me, that's like, that's like gentleman smack talk, I guess, right? And so they say, check. And then if you're going to win, you got to let them know in case they can't see it. You say, checkmate. And so that's the whole part of these movies. They build to this part where someone says, check. To me, when someone says check in chess, it's like Babe Ruth stepping into the batter's box and pointing at center field beforehand and saying, I'm fixing to yank this thing. Or when Steph Curry launches a three from the corner and then turns around and waves at the audience while it's going in, basically he's saying, I'm going to make this check, right? That to me is what this is. So when I, when I think of chess, I think of this idea of check and checkmate. And when I'm reading the book of Galatians, I'm seeing Paul as he's entered into a debate with these people who have come in after him and trying to add to the gospel. I see Paul saying over and over and over again, check, 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 and today I think he says checkmate to say it's over. There is no debate. There's no debate. So for those of us who might be uh, new to the series, just really quickly to, to make sure we're all square, we were talking about the freedom we have in Jesus Christ working through this book of Galatians. Paul was a guy who hated Christians, and the fact that he hated Christians, he was murdering them until Jesus Christ appeared and changed his life. And Paul then said, you know what, I'm going to trust in the fact that Jesus lived, he died for my sins, he was buried, and three days later he rose again. And Paul's life was so changed that he went from persecuting and killing Christians to becoming a Christian and telling other people who didn't know about Jesus that they should also be Christians. And and one of the places he went was to a, a town or a province called Galatia. And he'd go there and he'd look at these Gentiles, because they weren't Jews. He'd look at them and say, here's the deal, guys. You don't have to worship these false gods. You don't have to worry about all this weird Greek mythology. You don't have to do that and, and, and worry about, like, am I sacrificing the right way? Listen, the God of the universe who made you, he loves you, and he sent his son Jesus Christ down here to die for you. He was buried and three days rose again. And people all over, wherever Paul would go, would experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. 
So they would say, we're in. We want to follow Jesus. The problem is, is that in that little area of Galatia, there were some people from Jerusalem. They were Jewish Christians. And they made, their all, they made their way all the way over to Galatia and the towns that Paul had been preaching the gospel. And when they get there, they say, hey, listen, we like Paul, and we're glad Paul told you about Jesus Christ and that he died and he was buried and that he rose again. And I'm glad you put your faith in him. And I'm glad your life has changed. I'm glad you've encountered the Holy Spirit. But. If you really want to be in and be like us, then you also need to get circumcised like a good Jew would. And you also need to honor the Sabbath. Like, don't work on on Saturday. And, oh, by the way, the pork and shrimp, that's got to go because there are certain dietary restrictions we Jews have been practicing for a while. So if you really want to be in, if you really want to be us, then you got to add that to it. Now, Paul's not happy, and so he writes the letter to the Galatians to say, whatever they're telling you, that is not right. And the first time he says, check, is in chapter 1. He looks at him and says, here's the deal. The deal is, I got the gospel from Jesus Christ. I didn't make it up. I didn't get it from anybody else. I got the gospel straight from him. He appeared to me, blinded me, changed my life. I didn't get it from a human origin. And so, check, the gospel came from Jesus and no other source. And then he says, I'll give you another check. All of those people in Jerusalem, like Peter, the original apostle, James, the half-brother of Jesus, John, Jesus' best friend on earth, those three guys in Jerusalem that everybody looks up to, when I went there, I shook all of their hands, and they looked at me and said, you know what, Paul? What you're preaching is fine. We're not going to add a thing to it. You go to the Gentiles and you tell them about the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, check, check. What else do I have to prove? I got the gospel from Jesus. The people in Jerusalem agree with what I'm teaching. But apparently the Galatians, these these people from Jerusalem have come in and said some other things. So chapter 3 is all about Paul navigating this debate and this argument, and he's going to win. Let's look at it in the first five verses. Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians. Paul still got some bite to him. He's not happy that they have drawn, been drawn away by the gospel. He says, who has hypnotized you, these people who came from Jerusalem all the way over there to Galatia? You're fools for listening to them. You've been hypnotized. You've been turned into zombies. You're not even thinking logically anymore. He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you guys. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh, works of the law? Did you suffer so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? And he says this, final question. So then. Does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, circumcision, Sabbath, not eating pork, or by hearing by faith? Paul was there when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He was there. If you want to read it, Acts chapter 12, 13, and 14. And this is what he's asking him. Your lives were changed by Jesus Christ. 
I saw it. The Holy Spirit was doing miracles in Galatia. He had come. Your lives were changed. You embraced this. And so this is what Paul is saying. Was your life changed when you heard the gospel and believed it in faith? Or was your life changed when you started to make a doctor's appointment for circumcision and start honoring the Sabbath? And was your life changed when you quit eating pork? Which one was it? Now, this is great because Paul is using a brilliant, brilliant debate tactic. He's asking leading questions. And when you ask leading questions, you know what the answer is going to be. And so what's the answer? The answer is, you're right, Paul. We encountered the Holy Spirit, and our life was changed when we heard the gospel and responded in faith. That's when our life was changed. It wasn't changed when they showed up. It was changed by Jesus Christ. And so at that point, Paul says, check, check. You even know the gospel. You know the law didn't add anything. You know it. Now, just for a moment, really quickly, just, it, it just I want to make sure, like these people who are coming from Jerusalem, these Christian Jews, and they're going around, let me be clear, it's really easy to, to throw them under the bus and talk poorly about them, but all they've ever known for their entire life is circumcision, you can't eat pork, Sabbath. That's all they've ever known. And for them, they're trying to figure out, like, with Jesus Christ, are we, are we still Jews? Are we Jewish Christians? Are we Christian? And that's a big question. They have to figure that out. And for them, they thought, well, I guess we'll be Jewish Christians, and we're going to go make everybody else do this. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You are Christians, and you are Christians because you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your experience of the Holy Spirit in your life makes it true. Now, I want to stop here, and I want to talk just a little bit about application for a second. These five verses make me a little nervous, and this is the reason why. Make me nervous because Paul is saying your experience here dictates truth. Your experience dictates truth. He's saying you experienced the gospel, and so you experienced it. It must be true. Now, we had this young lady come right up here, Layla, and she told her experience of salvation. And we erupted in applause, and we, we were loving it, and everybody was excited for her. And she told the story, I am changed because of Jesus Christ. But here's the deal. Listen to me. Our experiences that we have and every experience in your life, the feelings, the things you've encountered, the joys, the hardship, they're all real. But we always have to measure our experiences by the standard of God's word. We always have to do that. You don't get to go around and just say, well, this is how I see it. This is how I am. This is what works for my family. If it doesn't line up with the word, then at some point we've got to ask some serious questions. Our experience in life ought to be an echo of what the Bible says, not in contradiction to what Scripture says. We live in a world today, you do what's good for you, I'll do what's good for me. Your experience, oh, what can I say about that? I can't say anything about that. You can't say anything about my experiences. And so when we get here, Paul is going to make it clear, yeah, you experienced it, and you experienced the gospel, and we should share these stories, and we share stories that echo what the Bible says.
We line them up together. Just make sure as you hear stories, and even as you share your own experiences, do they line up with God's word? Because if they don't, then we probably better go back and take a look at a few things. So the first one is, you guys know the gospel because I was there. You witnessed it. They answered and said, you bet, Paul. We experienced Jesus Christ. Then we get to verse 6 through 9. Let's read it. Next section. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, that in my Bible is bolded because it's an Old Testament quotation, then understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham saying, again, this is bolded, another Old Testament quotation, all the nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. So those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Now at this point I got a little whiplash because we went from our personal experience to Paul talking about Abraham. And for some of us in the room, you're like, who in the world is Abraham, right? And why does he come up here? If you're a Galatian, you're probably thinking the same thing. Why in the world would Paul use a Jewish example for a bunch of people that are Gentiles? They don't know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from Genesis, from Abraham Lincoln. They don't know who this guy is. They don't know what he's done. So it makes no sense that Paul would use an argument from the life of Abraham in this setting. Now listen, Paul's a Jew. He's a Jew of Jews. He probably has most of the first five books of the Bible memorized. If anybody wants to talk about Abraham... Paul is the guy that can talk about Abraham. So my question is, why is he bringing it up now? Let me take just a pause here and make sure we all understand what's happening in Galatians. I call this mirror reading. You can do it for Galatians. You can do it for Colossians. You can do it for Corinthians. What happens is there's something going on over here in Galatia. And when you read the book of Galatians, you're getting a mirror or a reflection of what's going on. So when you read it, you're only getting half the story, but you get that half story and you can piece the rest of it together. And the rest of it is, if he's talking about Abraham, guess what they were talking about in Galatia? Abraham. They were talking about Abraham. So Paul doesn't bring him up because he thinks it's some magical argument. He brings it up. He says, oh, they want to talk about Abraham? I'll talk about Abraham with you. Let me explain it to you. So this is what I think. This is Russell's translation. I can't prove it. Don't mark this down as dogmatic, but this is what I think. I think they showed up in Galatia and said, hey, fellas, you're going to have to get circumcised. And the guys were like, no. What are you talking about? No way. Why would we have to get circumcised? Hey, guys, you're going to have to give up pork. Why? You're going to have to not work on Saturday. That's my best day. Why? And he says, well, let me tell you. There's a guy named Abraham, and all of us Jews came from Abraham. Abraham and his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. And guess what Abraham did? Abraham was circumcised. And if you want to be in you got to be circumcised. Let me show it to you in Genesis 17. It's going to be on the screen. This is what God told Abraham. If you want to be in and you don't want to be cut off from the people, if you want to be in the covenant, all your descendants had better get circumcised. And this is what I think they did. I think they came over to the Galatians and said, see, right here, you got to be circumcised. Abraham was circumcised. Abraham was. 
So Paul is like, okay, you want to talk Abraham? I'll talk Abraham with you. And so he quotes in verse 6, Genesis 15. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. This is where Abraham goes out and looks at the stars in Genesis 15. And God looks at him and says, you've been faithful. You left everything. You left your family. You came to a new land. You trusted me, a God you had no clue about. And you've been faithful. And because of your faith, I'm going to count you righteous. I'm going to count you approved. I'm going to count you justified. Now, for all of us who genealogically challenged when it comes to the Old Testament, you ready? Here it is. They were saying Genesis 17. Paul was quoting Genesis 15. Which one comes first? 15. So now, he says, you were credited righteousness by faith, which comes before Abraham's what? Circumcision. Paul's like, you want to talk? You want to talk some Abraham? I'll talk Abraham with you. He was righteous, not because he got circumcised. He was righteous because he followed God. He followed God. He's there. So at this point, Paul's like, check. What else you got? What else? Surely there's something else, right? And then he quotes another one. Just to make sure, he goes, I'll give you one for good measure. Hey, this is for free, Galatians. Let me give you another Genesis quotation. You ready? He says this in verse 8. All the nations will be blessed through you. That's Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. When God first appeared to Abram and said, listen, you're going to go to the land I'm going to show you. You're going to be a great nation. You're going to have tons of descendants. Those who bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'm going to curse. And every person on the planet, all the nations will be blessed through you, your specific seed, namely Jesus Christ. So this is what he says. Listen. Abraham was great, but if Genesis 17 is the barometer, actually Genesis 15 comes before that, and before that is Genesis 12, and you are all on God's mind in Genesis chapter 12. Aren't you glad about that? Way back there in Genesis chapter 12, all the nations, not based on blood, not based on the law, it was based on faith. Check. Check. Now, another little piece of application here. When I read this section, it makes me really nervous because what happens is, is we can make our Bibles say anything. We can make our Bibles say anything. And that's what the Judaizers had done. I don't think it was malicious. I don't think they were out there trying to be just opposed to God. To be really honest with you, I think they were trying to make sense of a fledgling faith and didn't really understand. But this is what they did. They showed up and said, here's what our Bible says. And we can make our Bible say anything. We can do it. Um, so I just tell you that, just number one is we want to test what we hear. We want to test it. And, and so I, I know I, I speak for John and myself. Listen, I, I'm no man of God that is untouchable. I'm no, I have no bat phone. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me more than he speaks to you. I, none of that. Listen to me. I, I'm, I'm just like you trying to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. And when I get up here, I get red-faced and sweat and all of that. And you're like, it must be true. No, 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 no. Test it, right? Test it. Just because I get a little passionate doesn't mean I can't be wrong. 
I don't want to lead you astray. I don't want to do that. John doesn't want to do that. And in a world where you can do click, click, click and get 50 sermons on the way home, test it. Test it because we can make the Bible say whatever we want. I don't know none of us come to the Bible with presuppositions. I know none of us do. It's, it's them out there that do it. But for them out there, test it, right? For them out there, test it. I just tell you, we got to be careful with that. And I know we're laughing a little bit, but, um, man, that, that, it just doesn't take long for me to watch something and say, wow, we just abused the text badly. And I don't want to be accused of that. I was preaching at White Knoll just a couple weeks ago, and, trying to preach on faith and law and works and I, the language just doesn't work right it's not it's it's hard language right our english doesn't and so i was going to say something and i knew it just didn't quite line up but i thought everybody's going to get the gist of it everybody's going to understand it's nothing crazy and i got up there and sure enough right after the sermon guy comes up and says hey you said and i'm like Ugh. 99.9% of people in the room never going to hit. This guy catches it. And I'm like, you're right. Let's do lunch. You got to let's talk, right? And it was nothing crazy, nothing weird theologically. All it was was I was just trying to make the language simple. And in so doing, this guy caught a little inconsistency. And we had a great opportunity to talk about it. And I just said, thanks for listening. Half the time, I think people are checked out and wondering about lunch. So really, thank you. That's, that's great. I might just ought to start saying stuff wrong just to see if anybody will... Oh, catch it, right? Test it. We want to we wanna test it. All right, let's, let's move on. Now, there's one more. There's one more, one more check, right? And this is actually the checkmate. And um, it's really difficult language. It feels like Paul's going from one argument to the other because I think he's addressing the arguments they're hearing. So here it is, um, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, Because it is written, and this is in bold, so it's a quotation, everyone who does not continue doing everything written in the book of the law is cursed. Now it is clear that no one is justified before God by law because, again, I got a bold here, the righteous will live by faith. Verse 12, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, here's another quote, the one who does these things will live by them. The one who does these things live by them. So I'm only going to read those couple of three verses because here we have something even crazier. So we went from my personal experience in appreciating the gospel. I went from this argument that Abraham was circumcised, so maybe I should be circumcised. And Paul said, that ain't true. And now all of a sudden he starts using this language of cursing. If you, if you don't obey the law, there's curse. Like that's crazy, right? And I don't mean like witchcraft curse. I mean like damnation separated from God curse. So this is this is heavy language. Now again, he's quoting several obscure passages from the Old Testament. And when I say obscure, I'm fixing to read them to you. They are obscure. But why would he do this? Again, I think these people have come in and said If you don't get circumcised, if you don't obey the Sabbath, and if you don't quit eating pork, you're going to be cursed by God. So let me read you what Paul quotes here. Uh, Deuteronomy 27, it's going to be on the screen here. 
This is a fascinating story in your Old Testament. The nation of Israel was supposed to get to the promised land and then to remind them of all the rules and regulations. Half of the tribes would get on Mount Gerasim and half the tribes would get on Mount Ebal and they would echo these blessings and cursings across the valley loud. And this was to remind them, you come in the promised land, God has graciously saved you, be obedient. I'm not going to read all these cursings because they're, they're, they're rough, but let me give you a few of them, right? Verse 15, Deuteronomy 27. The person who makes a carved idol or a cast image, which is detestable to the Lord, the work of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. It may be in secret, but God knows. He says, he is cursed. And all the people were replying. You can hear it. Amen. And it's going across this valley. It's going across it, right? Just remind him, don't worship something else. Don't set up a carved image. Then the next one. Verse 16, the one who dishonors his father and mother is cursed. And all the people said, amen. <laughs> Ooh, that, that, that one's rough, right? He's starting to feel this a little bit. So there's a lot of them. There's some weird ones like about sexual practices. This one, I'm sure, got a really hearty amen. Verse 23, the one who sleeps with his mother-in-law is cursed. And all the people will say, Amen. So you got, you got some of that going on, right? I mean, it's just echoing across. And then finally, this is the passage that Paul quotes. Anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. If you don't put it into practice, it's cursed. And all the people said, amen, amen. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 go together. There's a long list of these cursings here. And this is what Paul says. If you're going to put yourself under the law, hey, fellas, put yourself under all of the law. Because this is what y'all are doing. With all of these quotations from Habakkuk and Leviticus, I just don't have time to read them all this morning. But this is what he's saying. You guys came in and you hand-chose three laws. You handpicked three laws. And you traveled all the way to Galatia. And you said, circumcision... Sabbath, and make sure your diet is according to ours. Does anybody see the hypocrisy in that? Because there are 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. Why did you handpick three of them? Maybe because that's the ones they were really good at. Maybe. Because they were easy. Get circumcised as a baby if you're a Jew. Seven days, Jesus was. That's easy. Right? Sabbath, everybody kind of shuts this thing down and in Jerusalem on Sabbath. That one's easy. I hadn't eaten pork and well, I never eaten pork. That's easy. Right? So they just get to sit back and pick them. And this is what Paul is saying. Hey, why don't you do all of them? Why is there no mention of the sacrificial system? Why is there no mention of ritual cleansing? Why is there no mention of all of that? He's basically calling them a hypocrite. And in Galatians 5, he's going to come out and say it. Listen, put yourself under the law. If you want to be under it, put yourself under it. But don't come in here handpicking three of them and making them do it. If you're going to put yourself under it, put yourself under the law. And this is what he says. Listen, my Gentile friends aren't cursed. Because they haven't taken up the law. The people that are cursed are the people who want to live under the law and can't maintain it. So guess who's cursed? You guys, not my buddies, 
my Gentile buddies in Galatia. Not my guys. You feel that? He sits back and he's saying, check. We're not under the law because we're not trying to get under the law. And you say, well, how in the world does the passage in Deuteronomy no longer apply? Like, I thought the Bible was one cohesive unit. Why does the cursing in Deuteronomy no longer apply to us? Fantastic question. He's going to answer it in Galatians. You ready? He keeps going. Verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, and again, I'm in bold here, quotation, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Verse 14. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus, not through works of the law, so that we could receive the promised Holy Spirit, the blessings, by faith. That's what we're doing. And so the reason why we're no longer under the curse of the law, and hey, Jewish Christians, you're not under the curse of the law anymore unless you want to be. But Jesus Christ was the curse for us. Now, um, we've heard this a hundred times, right? And then we've got this quotation here, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. So the rest of my time, if you have been asleep, will you give me the next six minutes? Just give me the next six minutes. I'm going to wrap it up. But this is absolutely profound for our Christian faith, that Jesus Christ became a curse for us. Let me go back to Deuteronomy 21. I told you it's an obscure passage, but if he's going to quote it, I want to read it. So let's look at it. Deuteronomy 21. It's in a long list of laws that seem, I mean, they're just, I told you, there's 600 of them. They're, they're, they're long and they're laborious. And then you get to chapter 21, verse 22 of Deuteronomy, and this is what it says. If anyone is found guilty of an offense deserving the death penalty and is executed, so when you're reading the law, there are plenty of offenses that deserve the death penalty, rape, adultery, in some cases dishonoring your parents, like you get stoned, there's the death penalty brutal. He goes on and he says, and you hang his body on a tree. So you kill this person, you stone him, and then you mount him on a tree. You are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but are to bury him on that day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. It's under God's curse. So this is less about um, the death penalty and more about what you did with the body. So what would happen is this person would be stoned, and to make a public example, they would take the body and they would put it on a tree, and it was supposed to be there all day. But the law says at night you got to pull that thing down. Why would it be up there? Well, the text says because that person, that body is under a curse. Why are they under a curse? Here's the reason. Because they willfully disobeyed the law. When you willfully disobeyed and you raped, adultery, whatever it was, they put you up there. They killed you and then they put you on that stake and everybody that passed by says, I don't want to do that. And not only that, but that body on that tree was a picture of God's wrath, his vengeance, his justice being meted out on that person. For their sin. For their sin. That's intense, isn't it? 
why in the world would Paul quote that obscure law and put it in Galatians? Let's go back to it and, and see. He says this again. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. So Paul is saying Jesus was hung on a tree, and as he hung there, he was taking the wrath, the judgment, and the vengeance of God upon himself for us. That's what it says, doesn't it? He did it for us who should have been killed. The wages of sin is who should have been humiliated on a tree for everyone to see God's wrath poured out on them. I deserve that. Anybody else? I deserve that. I deserve to be a human example of what it looks like to cross God, to not obey him, to willfully disobey, to meet justice, death, and to be cursed and separated from him. I deserve that. I deserve it. And it says he became that for us. This is an amazing passage that tells us that Christ was the curse on our behalf. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. When I read the New Testament, I hear this stuff like he's hung on a tree. Is anybody else like, why don't they just say cross? But they don't say cross because they want you to think Deuteronomy 21. And this is just for free. All of those Jews, all of those Jews that didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, Deuteronomy 21 is what they would go to. And they would say, Jesus was cursed. He hung on a tree publicly. He was executed. He can't be our Messiah. And so Paul and Peter said, no, 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 no. You're right, he was cursed. But he was cursed for us, not because of anything he did. Say, I don't know, Russell, I don't see that in the passage. All right, let's go to 1 Peter, all right? 1 Peter. I'm going to do this and I'm going to be done. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, I want to show you how Peter does it in a couple of passages, and then hopefully it draws us to worship. Um. Verse 22, he, Jesus, did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is Peter quoting Isaiah 53. Jesus did nothing to deserve the death penalty. He did nothing to deserve the death penalty. He did not sin. Peter's making that clear. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was suffering, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He said, I'm, I'm yours, Father. If you want to pour out your wrath and your vengeance and, and all of that on me, I trust you because you are a good and holy and just judge. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body, he bore our sins in his body on the on a tree, Deuteronomy 21. He was cursed for us. He bore it for us. So that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And he quotes Isaiah 53 again. For you have been healed by his wounds. By his stripes we are healed. Why? Because he became the curse for us. You say, oh, Russell, that's just one random passage. Let me give you another one. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. It's just a couple of verses. He says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered, by hanging him on a... 
Deuteronomy 21, you hung him up there. You tried to kill him. You tried to make him a curse in front of everyone. And when you did it, you don't understand. He was a curse, all right, but he was a curse for us. He was a curse for us. And then he says this, God exalted this man to his right hand as a ruler and savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Last one, and there's more, but Acts 13 says this, Though, you found, though they found no grounds for the death penalty. There it is again. He didn't earn it. He should have never been Deuteronomy 21. Should have never been that, but he was. They asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they fulfilled all that had been written about him, they took him down from the, and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was cursed. And he was cursed for you. And he was cursed for me. But he rose again to set us free from the curse of the law. So you want to know why we don't read Deuteronomy 27 to start a worship service? Because Christ became the curse for us. He became the curse for us. And there is nothing else that we do except embrace that. And that, my friends, is checkmate. Checkmate. Game's over. He became the curse. So here in a moment, we're going to take bread and juice. And when we take it, you recognize that bread and juice symbolizes his being cursed for us. And then we're going to sing this song. It's in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. It's not in Christ and circumcision. It's not Christ and Sabbath. It's not Christ and diet. It's not Christ and church attendance. It's in Christ alone, my hope is found. And then you're going to get to this other verse, and it says, Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. That's ours. Here in the death of Christ, I live. He was cursed so that I could live. Do you embrace that freedom? Have you embraced that freedom? Now you live in that. That's why we're doing this. We want you to live in the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, um, I, uh, I just confess that I, uh, I most of the time try to live my life in my own power and my own doing, and I, I don't really think a lot about the fact that you were cursed on my behalf, a curse that I deserve, a curse that I earned. But yet, Jesus, you were crucified, and you hung on that tree, and you were humiliated. And you were taking the wrath of God, the vengeance of God, the justice of God. And for all of us who put our faith and trust in your son, we have a lot to be thankful for. Thank you for redeeming us and saving us from the curse of the law. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit, giving us new life. And so, Father, as we sing this song, I pray that it's out of a, a place that wants to honor you. I pray that as we take this bread and juice, that it's out of a place that really wants to recognize and remember 
the deep sacrifice that was made. That's what I ask, Lord. Thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.